If it ain't good, it ain't over. It's one of the things that I had a gentleman that used to speak into my life frequently. He said, if it ain't good in your life, just remember, it ain't over. He would always quickly take me back to Romans 8, 28 and the promise of God that he works all things together for the good for those that love God and those that are called to his purpose. He would also quickly remind me that, yes, it's true that if it ain't good, it ain't over. Most of the time, God's definition of good and our definition of good can be polar opposites. And as we are stepping into the book of Hebrews, that's one of the things I think that the author, in a different sort of way, is reminding the believers at this point. As we looked at last week, said it started right out. It says, long ago, God spoke through our fathers, through the prophets, various times, in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son that he's given to us. And that's the key phrase. For the remainder of the book of Hebrews, we have to remember that he has distinguished Jesus Christ, the Son of God, from the very beginning as being above all things, as being superior to all things, and being greater than all things. So we begin to look today. He is above. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Now, at the end of the passage that we read last week in verse 4, he makes the statement that the Son is superior to the angels. And we're going to read 5 through 14, or 5 through the remainder of the chapter. Starts by saying, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you? Or again, it will be to him, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But, the son, but of the Son of God, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And your, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now, with the book of Hebrews, I, I mentioned to you last week that this can be one of the more intimidating books of the Bible just because of the depths and the riches of theology and doctrine that can be mined from these scriptures. And they are absolutely beautiful. But we have to be careful when we're attempting 
to mine these depths and to get to the finer points of theology and doctrine because all of our theology and doctrine has to be built on a firm foundation. It has to be built on the rock of Jesus Christ. Because if it's not, then we are going to have theology and we're going to have doctrinal beliefs that shift with the sand. And it's really tempting for us to dive down into these rabbit holes and to really get into the weeds of this because here we just read a whole passage about angels, right? And it seems like this is a passage about angels. And we can, we can grab and we can pull out of this text a lot because, I mean, we see Old Testament, Psalm after Psalm after Psalm, the book of Deuteronomy, we see all of these sources of the Old Testament that the writer is pulling from, and we can look at angels, and we can get lost there. But what we have to understand is that the foundation of this passage and the rest of the book of Hebrews is not that this is as much about angels as it is about Jesus Christ. Because we could look at the Old Testament. We could look at the New Testament. We can look at stories from today. Now, they're not quite as numerous or as frequent as what we find in biblical times, but we can see some pretty amazing things that angels are responsible for, that God gives them to us for, that they act on our behalf. We see account after account in the Old Testament. One of the, one of the most famous is Elisha, whenever he's facing a battle of insurmountable odds. This army that's coming at him is just absolutely getting ready to overwhelm them, and he's standing there with confidence. One of his, his captains, one of his peers, is looking and begins to panic because he sees the odds that they're facing, and Elisha prays, God, open his eyes and let him see who is fighting for us. And God gives them this look into this spiritual realm, and he sees angels just surrounding a mountain. We see in the book of Acts, in chapter 12, where Peter is in prison, the early church goes, they're having a prayer meeting because they've just lost a couple key apostles to the early church because of martyrdom and the persecution they were facing. They organize a prayer meeting at a house because they don't want to lose another one. They see Peter in prison and they start praying for God to miraculously release him. And what happens? An angel shows up, wakes him up. Peter thinks he's dreaming. The prison doors swing wide open. He walks out. The gates of the prison begin to swing wide open. And then all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, Peter realizes, hey, this is really happening. So he goes to the house where they're having the prayer meeting. He knocks on the gate. Rhoda, who's a servant at this house, comes. Peter says, hey, it's me. Rhoda freaks out, leaves him at the gate, an escaped prisoner out in public. It's not the greatest strategy to have. But she runs in to tell everyone, hey, Peter's at the gate. He's been miraculously freed. Their response is basically, hey, Rhoda, you're crazy, all right? We've not said amen to our prayers, so there's no way God could answer them already. Basically, they go, Rhoda, you're crazy. It must be his angel. Think about that for a minute. They were rationalizing things by an angelic visitation. So we see angels playing this great role 
all through the Bible times. We see it so often in our, in our time, too, with, with missionaries, with people being protected by God's angels. But we're dealing with a group of believers that has begun to fall away from their faith. They've begun stepping into apostasy, which is stepping away from your faith or beginning to denounce your faith. And the author of Hebrews is confronting this. And how does he confront it? He looks to their sources of comfort. He looks to their sources of things that they have known, experienced, and grown comfortable with in their past. Because these Jewish believers in Jesus Christ would have been well-versed and maybe even well-experienced in angels at this point. And the writer decides to say, I know you're falling. I know you're fading. And I'm going to, I want to encourage you to not give up on Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you not to abandon your faith. Because he begins to say, how much greater is Jesus than the angels? When has God ever said that to any of the angels that, hey, you're my son? When has God ever said, hey, you're going to sit down at my right hand next to me in heaven? When has God ever said to an angel that I will make your enemies as a footstool for your feet? So make no mistake about it, while angels are used frequently in this writing, this is about Jesus Christ. This is about how superior he is. And this is what the author is reminding the people, that foundation of faith. Don't get so lost in what you've known or what you've experienced or what your tradition is, or what your history is, or what's comfortable for you, don't get so lost in that that you abandon the superior Savior. Because the fact of the matter for them is that, listen, if help were all that they needed, angels would have been just fine. But they needed a Savior. If, angel, if help were all that we need, Angels would do just fine. But we need a Savior. Amen? We need a Savior. And that's what I want to kind of focus in on today as we continue to look at this passage. Is to look at, you know, one of the questions I was faced with this week as we read this scripture it, um, you know, the hermeneutical question, this deep hermeneutical question came up for this message as I kind of outlined the passage. Here's what we see. Here's why Jesus is greater. Here's why he's superior. And then I had to ask myself the question that you will probably ask at some point if you haven't already. So what? Okay, the, the angels are great. Jesus is greater. So what? What does, what does that mean to me? How does that apply to me see what they were facing again was they were facing persecution they were facing trials they were facing ridicule some of them had lost their homes some of them were at threat of losing their lives their very existence was being threatened all because of this belief in Jesus Christ and we've covered a couple weeks steady 
that no matter what you're facing, no matter how difficult, no matter how much joy it brings you, no matter how far the fall or how great the victory, no matter how dark the time or how much happiness that you're walking in in this moment, Jesus Christ is greater. And we, we tend to sometimes, this becomes a big struggle for us when things are tough. Right? I mean, I, I think that we're all um, you know, human enough that we understand that whenever things are difficult in my life, it's really difficult to stay true and not question, not doubt, and not have that temptation to fall away. That's what the author's addressing here. That's what he's writing. And I just, I want to spend just a few moments talking about this question of so what. Because we're not that different from the people that the, that the author of Hebrews is writing to. We face difficulty in our lives, and at times we face the temptation of wanting to fall away. We face the temptation of wanting to throw our hands up and say, I quit. We face the temptation of, why am I even trying to live this life if it's not leading me to anywhere? If I'm experiencing all of this, why am I trying to do this? God, I'm hurting already, and I just went to church, and somebody said something to me that absolutely cut me to the core. Why am I even trying? God, I've tried to serve you. I've tried to give. I've tried to pray. I've tried to read my Bible, all of these things, and I'm still facing all of this stuff. All of this hardship, all of this trial, my relationships are, are estranged. My job, I'm miserable at my job. My family is full of tension. But if it ain't good, it ain't over. If it ain't good, it ain't over. Romans 125 kind of gives us a little bit of insight into where our hearts can be pulled into. It says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You want to know one thing that we're all guilty of? At times at least? Is seeking the blessings of God over the face of God. We tend to seek the gifts of God over the giver. Sometimes we want to see and experience the hands of God rather than the presence of God. We're all guilty of it. And another thing that we're all guilty of at times is taking the things that God has provided for us as a blessing and exalting those where we are currently. Let me unpack that for just a little bit. We look back in our lives and we see how God has blessed us or how he has helped us and we want to cling on to that. Even if God is leading us into a new season to where those are no longer necessary in our lives. Now that's not taking away from the fact that they were of God and that it, he was the source of those. But sometimes we hang on to the area of help 
when it's not what God has willed for us to do. And that, that, asked, that, that, that led me to this question of what areas of help in our lives do we struggle with? Because that's what he's beginning to identify. Like this week we're looking at angels. Because he said that don't go back to exalting the angels. The angels are a source of help. The angels are a source of blessing. The angels have been and are a good thing from God. But we're not to seek after them. We're to seek after God's face. And that, that was kind of what I was beginning to ask myself. What, what other examples of help do we see people clinging to? What are things that we're challenged? Because the writer's going to go on and he's going to challenge how much greater that Jesus is than even Moses. Okay, insert audible gasp from the audience at that time. Right? Because, I mean, Moses was the dude. All right? We ain't, we ain't introducing MJ or LeBron in the goat conversation right now. All right? In the Jewish culture, Moses was the goat. And the author goes, yeah, Jesus is greater than him. Actually, it's not even close. So what he's doing, and we're going to see him systematically dismantling every source of idol in the Jewish culture. And that's really what we fight against. Idols. Those things that we lift up. Those things that we pursue. Those things that we exalt above our relationship with God. And that took me back to Numbers chapter 11. I think we see a really good example here. Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. This is the Israelites. Okay, Remember we've talked about how Hebrews attaches to Exodus and the Exodus and the experience in the wilderness and the promised land of the nation of Israel. So this is another one of those examples. Verse 4, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in, G in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Mm. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Boy, there had to be some good breath in that conversation, right? Like, we want fish. We want leeks, garlic, onions. Mm. But look at the heart behind this statement. They're saying, oh, if we only had this craving. Oh, if we only had this desire. Tired of this manna stuff. You know, this stuff that God has miraculously just provided to show up every morning that we can go gather and eat? Yeah, I'm tired of that. I'd like a big, medium-rare porterhouse. Mmm. Now that sounds good. You can keep the leeks, the onions. I'll take the garlic. But they begin to complain. And they begin to look at what they had. And long after that. The problem was, 
What they were longing for was what they had when they were back in bondage. You see, and, and here, again, this is something that God had provided for them. Let's make no mistake. The Israelites being in Egypt was a source of God's provision. Let me tell you how that came about. Joseph was led to Egypt, rose in his power and authority. God gave him the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams that there was going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, that they needed to store in those seven years of plenty to have enough to carry them through the seven years of famine. And what happened was the nation of Israel ran out of food and they came seeking food and assistance from Egypt and their God had already placed one of their own to provide for them during the years of famine. But God's intention was never for the Israelites to remain in Egypt, especially be held in bondage, which they did for 400 plus minus some years. So God brought them out of Egypt and into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. But God never intended for them to be in the wilderness for 40 years. You see, what we learned last year through the book of Exodus is that it's one thing for us to get out of Exodus. It's a whole other thing to get, Ex or to get Egypt out of us. Right? Like we can leave Egypt and we can put that behind us physically. But it's another thing for us to get the bondage mentality that we've had in Egypt out of our lives. See, we experience the same thing. God delivers us from bondage. God delivers us from our own Egypt that's called sin. He takes us out of sin, but we have a hard time getting sin out of us. And I believe one of the biggest reasons for that is in, uh, we can be found in one word. Comfort. We love comfort, don't we? We absolutely love comfort. A couple areas of comfort that I can think of right now. Comfort food. Anyone? Anyone? You all may be surprised, but there is a dish that your pastor enjoys. That is comfort food. Amen. Y'all can preach louder than that to me. All right. Sweet potato casserole. We all have this comfort food, right? That we go to and we gorge ourselves on. And man, it is so good in the moment. I have never sought comfort in food to where it does me any good long term. You see, it's good to me, but it's not good for me. It's good to me, but it's not good for me. Maybe your area of comfort isn't food. That's kind of what we're seeing here, you know, this longing for these leeks and this garlic and this onion. Maybe your area of comfort is, I don't know, let's say maybe a relationship. You know, that toxic relationship, that, that person that you're holding on to, that person you keep going back to, whether it be 
in a romantic relationship or a friendship, but these things that God is trying to pull you out of that you keep going back into, maybe we're seeking this comfort. We may not be seeking the wrong thing, but oftentimes we seek them in the wrong places. Amen? Maybe it's phrases. Maybe it's excuses that you've come up with. Maybe in the midst of your failure, maybe in the midst of your longing, you've, you just embrace this concept of that's just who I am. It's just how God made me. Folks, if it's something that is pushing you away from God, if it's creating distance in your relationship with God, it's not how God created you. No matter how good it feels, no matter how comfortable it is, no matter how familiar it is, it's not God. And these can be things that God uses to get us from one season to the next. Manna was supposed to get the children of Israel through the wilderness into the promised land. And again, it was never meant to last 40 years. God gave them something to sustain them miraculously, providing provision for them. But they had stayed in the old season for too long, and it grew to be something that they despised. There are things that we're going to have to leave behind to enter into the next step in what God wants to take us to, even if they're things that God has provided for us in the past. And make no mistake, God doesn't always give you the greatest things when He's trying to get you to a greater thing. We may not be happy. We may not like what we're experiencing right now. But understand that God may have you in that place. He may be providing for you in a way that's not how you would have signed up for, but He's using it to get you from this season to the next season. Is this okay this morning? Elijah had a season where he was provided what would have equated raw meat from ravens. If I'm ordering on the menu, that's not my first choice. But that was a provision of substance from God to get Elijah through this season in order to take him to the next season. Then the next season provided him nothing but bread and water. Again, not necessarily what we're going to want to eat all the time. We have to recognize that there are times that God provides for us, but we can't get so caught up in the provision that we lose sight of the direction that he's taking us. See, sometimes things get so comfortable with us that the freedom that God led us into in this season now becomes the bondage trying to get to the next season. Because God wants to take us deeper into His presence. But we have this tendency that we always want to revert back to what we've known. Why? If for no other reason, because it's comfortable for us. 
See, the disciples had this problem whenever Jesus was crucified, before he revealed himself to them. They had just given up. They'd spent up to three years of their lives dedicated to this man, and then in a moment, they stood there going, what do we do now? Peter's like, I don't know. I like to fish. Let's go fishing. So that's what they did. In the Old Testament, we see Samuel anoint Saul as king over all of Israel, the first king. The next day, the following day after the ceremony had completed, they were looking for the king. They couldn't find him. You want to know where he was? He was back in the fields. Why? Because nobody had explained to him what being a king was supposed to be. He's like, hey, I'm king. What now? Oh, look, there's a plow. I've always done that. You see, there is a false sense of security in the things that we've experienced before. In the things that we have been blessed with. In the gifts that God has given us. And again, these don't all have to be bad, sinful things. We are experts at also taking the good things of God and elevating them to a place to where they're above God in our pursuits. The enemy wants to wrap you up in bondage. He wants to wrap you up in chains. And if he can't get you outside of the church to do it, he'll wrap you up inside the church to do it. If he can't wrap you up in Egypt, then he's going to do his best to wrap you up in the wilderness. If he can't wrap you up in the wilderness, then he's going to do his best to wrap you up in the promised land. I'm going to ask Kelly if he would to come up here and just stand with me on stage for just a minute. Come here, I'd like to use you as an illustration. Good, sir. The look on his face should have let everyone know I didn't ask him about this. So just turn around and say hi to everybody. You would hang on to that with one of your hands there, please. Thank you. Okay. What chains do in our lives, what bondage does in our lives, sometimes is it provides us a false sense of security, provides us a false sense of safety because we feel real snug in there, you know, feel real good in this. And what the enemy will want to do sometimes in our lives is he'll want to take this thing that you've struggled with for so long. I feel like I'm decorating a Christmas tree. He'll just wrap it up with you. Maybe, maybe it's been an addiction. You know those things that you used to do to cope that made you feel really good? You know that comfort food? That thing that felt good to you in the moment? Yeah, let's just keep wrapping that up. Because what it, what it is, is this chain, this, this is familiar, so I'm going to equate it to security. I'm going to equate it to safety. You all remember that game that we used to play with the wiffle ball bat? Whenever they'd make you put your forehead on it, and then turn as fast as you could, and then try to run? It's kind of where I'm getting at right now. But we've got maybe this addiction. Maybe, maybe. This is that tendency to complain. Maybe this is that tendency to gossip. Maybe this is that relationship 
that has been toxic for us. Maybe this has been the pursuit of material, monetary things. Maybe this is exalting everything else above my family. Maybe this is me exalting my family above my relationship with God. And what happens is, is we just continue to allow ourselves to be wrapped in these chains over and over and over again. Maybe this is the leeks. Maybe this is the garlic. Maybe this is the onions. Maybe this are those things that the enemy has used for years to keep us tied up. And what we do is we get into this situation. We feel nice and tight and warm and all kinds of secure. And the enemy is going to want to convince you that this is where you're destined to be. This is where God has called you to be. But what the author of Hebrews has done is he has come in and he said, Jesus is greater than any addiction. Jesus is greater than any toxic relationship. Jesus is greater than anything that the enemy wants to put in your life. Jesus is greater than anything even that I've been blessed with. Even that God has used in my past. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate you. Whether he was done or not, he was out of here. (laughs) Even these good things of God that he's used to get me from one season to the next, the enemy can go, well, if they're not going to fall and be slaves to bondage anymore in these other areas, I'm going to use that. Folks, he says that it is his face that he wants you to seek. Not his hand, not his blessings, what he can do for you, the monetary things, the, the, the financial things, the relational things, whatever. He is saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you, for the kingdom of God is not in meat or drink. The challenge this morning is stop worshiping the creature. Stop worshiping the creation. Stop worshiping the things of God. Stop going after them and making those paramount in your lives. Start seeking Him and Him alone. Amen? Amen. Pray with me this morning. God, I just uh, I, I thank You that Jesus is greater. He's greater than, than every blessing that You could have provided for us. He's greater than, than any help, any assistance. God, that He is the help that we need. He is the only source of assistance. God, help us to recognize the sources of idols and the places of things in our lives that we get bound up in chains, that we, we think that, God, this is providing security for me. This is providing safety for me. This is, this is providing an essential need for me. God, let, us, let, let your Spirit rise up in us and recognize these things. God, so that we can abandon our pursuit of any and everything other than Jesus Christ. It's in His name I pray. Amen. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back up this morning. If, I, if, if I'm going to leave you with anything, I want it to be this thought. If help 
were all that you needed. Angels would be just fine. Comfort food, comfort relationship, comfort phrases, comfort anything. Peace, happiness, tranquility. If help were all that you needed, those would be just fine. But you need a Savior. Amen?